You're listening to the Detroit is Different After Dark Podcast Network. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. Yo, 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 what's good, world? It's your man's Uncle P here, and you are live with the F What You Heard podcast. This is a special edition going on right now. We are live at the Detroit is Different Festival, and uh, we're about to have a good time. Uh, we bringing the podcast to the public, and we have some great speakers here, some very educated individual. Of course, I have our co-host, Sabrina Underwood. What's hey, up, Sad? Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And rolling around the place, we have uh, our, our main man, Kahari, um, doing his thing. So we're going to get right up into this. Uh, where the money at? I need to introduce who we're going to have here. I'm sharing information with you immediately to my left. I have Miss Stephanie Hammonds. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm an entertainment lawyer. I've been practicing for 23 years, and I'm happy to share the knowledge with you today, and I hope you have a lot of questions. That's good with the questions. So y'all get y'all thinking caps on. And then to her left, we have a good friend of mine, um, self-starter in this music business, Um, really did a lot with publishing, exploring, and learning on his own. Mr. Theo, what's going on, bro? Hey, how's it going, Pete? Glad to be here. Hey to everybody that's out there. Most people probably see me around here or there. So. Right, right. You want to tell a little bit about what you're doing? Uh, Pro Sound Media is my company. Uh, we have a publishing digital distribution arm, uh, pretty much artists and label services. Anything to do with that, we do it. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right, we're about to get right off into this. Um, Sab, I know we was talking. Did you have um, something you wanted to get us started off with today? What, what, what was on your mind? Well, one of the major questions that we're always presented with, especially in the 21st, um, for 21st century you know, um, music business, um, especially with the advent of digital you know, really coming in and, and taking over, um, but then versus still the traditional model that still makes significant money. But um, artists, especially songwriters, um, publishers, they're challenged with, you know, um, capitalizing as much, you know, on revenue. Sure. Um, and trying to understand exactly how to and where the money is for them in today's music industry. And so with that being said, especially with the two of you, I know, Stephanie, you're doing quite a bit of different deals now that must take into consideration all those things. And then Theo, with you doing sync and, you know, all of that and, you know, understanding all those different routes. So I kind of want to put that on the table if if both of you can kind of share um, just the initial things right now, you know, um, that uh, that generates great revenue today for digital. Okay. So it's a complex issue. I'll start out and then you chime in or, or correct me if, if, if you know anything different in your experience. So when you're talking about digital royalties, you first have to look at two things. First of all, who are the recipients of the royalties? And then where are the revenue streams for digital um, music? So you're looking at either the record company or who is sometimes called the master rights owner. So that's basically whoever owns the master. You're looking at 
the artist and that's the performer or performers that appear um, on the master and then you're looking at the songwriters who've written the song and the publishers who own the copyrights to the songs so in order to kind of break it down in a way that makes sense and is easier to follow I, my suggestion is we kind of look at each uh, recipient and then look at what the available sources of revenue are for them. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, that's a great start. Okay, so as the artist, um, and let's first define what are digital royalties because um, digital royalties are money that comes from um, anything that isn't a physical recording. So we're looking at um, streaming rights, um, and we're looking at um, the streaming rights that come from re uh, internet, radio stations, uh, different streaming platforms like Spotify. Um, so those are the, the areas in general. And then we look at what for an artist. So the, the monies that can be collected directly for an artist from digital royalties, um, sound exchange. Sound Exchange is responsible for paying artists and master right owners um, from whatever um, streaming royalties are generated from on the internet, from internet radio airplay. We're talking about Pandora, we're talking about even Spotify, we're talking about XM Sirius. Um, so radio stations and online streaming, that's the only income really that an artist who is not already an owner, also an owner, like a self-released artist that owns their label, that's really the primary source where they get direct income. Other than that, an artist is getting it either from a distributor that's distributing the music or a label that they're signed to if they don't own the label. Um, so, so far, so good? Okay, so then, then the next thing we have is we have the master rights owner, and that usually takes the form of a record company. So when you're dealing with what revenue is, what, what digital royalties are available to the rights, master rights owner or the record company, um, again, the sound exchange. Sound Exchange is a, is a free service that's been designated, but what, what I should say, it's not free, it's, it's free membership. They take a percentage of what they collect on your behalf, but you don't have to pay them out of pocket to join or to have them do it. It's, it's like a contingency type of thing. They take a certain percentage. So um, the label gets paid that way. Labels also get paid from distributors, obviously, um, because one of the issues that I have with streaming and I'm, I'm going a little bit off schedule, is that streaming to me is kind of like an okey-doke way that the major um, people who controlled the music industry tried to make up for the monies that they lost when they didn't take um, internet sales um, seriously, and so they've been trying to catch up ever since. So the two mechanisms that the industry has used have been um, this digital uh, music and streaming, and the other thing has been the 360 deal where they have cut into an artist's share of revenue from other sources to try to make up. So 360 is another conversation, but I'm just mentioning it because a lot of what they do is they've conditioned artists and they've conditioned the public to think that, oh, it's cool to have a subscription. Oh, it's great because I have access to all of this music. Um, but the whole idea has been the, the labels are the ones that win because they are the ones who 
They don't have to spend the money in terms of manufacturing um, those costs and dis distribution. of they, they save a lot on the financial end. Also, we'll probably get into a discussion later, but they keep the lion's share of the money that's generated. Um, more than, it, it ranges from 40 to 60 to 70 percent of the digital royalties that are generated go to the label, and then the rest of that is divided among artists and producers, excuse me, publishers and writers. So I digressed a little bit, but so forgive me for the rant. So I'm gonna go back. So for master rights owners, it's either the sound exchange or monies that are collected from distributors and paid out to the record companies. When it comes to songwriters and publishers, it's a little bit more straightforward because all of the internet um, revenue is still collected if you are a member of a performing rights society, ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. Um, so when you have your music that you have written or that you own the copyrights to, that's that's played on YouTube, when it's played on um, internet radio, any type of digital uh, public performance, BMI, ASCAP, and CSAC still cover those. So I've kind of painted a broad brush and took a slight detour, So, but I wanted to give some general information yeah. to start us out. Let, let me ask you uh, something. Where does the actual copyright paperwork fall into all that equation? Well, in, a copyright to me is like a deed or even when you own a car and you have a title and the first thing that happens when you get pulled over by the police, show me your title and your registration. So the copyright is the legal proof of who owns the document. So, and the most important part on a copyright form is the copyright claimant. That's the identity of the person who owns it and has the right to collect money and the right to give permission to use the song. Mm, okay. Okay. So it, it's mainly for ownership. Do you technically have to have the copyright to fill your ASCAP, BMI, all of that no. stuff? No, you don't, you don't have to have the copyright to fill out, to complete those things. If you sign up with ASCAP or BMI, uh, which is step one, that, let me start with that. That is step one. If you're making music right now, the first thing you need to be doing is registering with ASCAP or BMI. That's the PROs, those are the collection societies. If you're not doing that, you're gonna miss a lot of money. But there's two steps to it. There's registering as a songwriter and then there's also registering as a publishing company. There are certain royalties that only publishers can collect. So if you're, if you're like, oh, I am registered, I'm registered as a songwriter, that's great, but you're only getting half of your royalties because royalties are split into two halves. Half goes to the songwriters, half go to the publishers, okay? So if you don't register as a songwriter, you're gonna miss that. Um, BMI charges, I think it's 250 to register as a publisher um, if you're a business, and I think it's only $100 if you're not a business, if you're just gonna register using your social security number. Don't quote me on those amounts. Go to their Actually, website. Actually, I think BMI is free, which yeah. is why... The writer's part is... The, the writer's, writer's part, part, not the yes. publisher. I'm talking no, about to register yeah, as a publisher. Yeah. No, right, exactly. Yeah, so, and then um, ASCAP, theirs is $50 for a writer or $50 for a publisher. So I think it's a little bit cheaper with ASCAP to register both halves, but you definitely want to register both halves to make sure you're getting all the royalties. Um, to what P was saying, 
as far as the and what she was saying as far as the copyright registration with the actual United States Copyright Office, that is an important step because there are certain royalties that are that are accumulated out there that fall under what's called Section 115, which is just a section of the United States Code um, for copyright law. And if you're not registered and listed as the copyright owner, then Amazon, uh, Google, Microsoft, some of these other companies they won't be able to pay you because they don't know who to pay because they get that information from the U.S. Copyright Office. So if you don't register, they'll have royalties and they'll say, well, we don't know who made this song, even though your name could be, you know, John Smith. And it's like, no, that's me, that's me right there. Doesn't matter. If it's not registered with them, they're not going to pay it off. And it'll sit there in what they call the black box royalties, where it just sits there in, in an account, um, you know, in escrow, and they just basically collect the interest off of it until they pay it out. So I do have a question since we're talking about black box. I understand like with the PROs, there's a three year mark from the time that you put it out to get getting it registered, whether it's your performances that you do live where you're performing this music live or your actual masters, your actual music that you're putting out. You've got a three, three year period to register all that stuff. Um, so say you put it out but you didn't register it with your PRO, and that those royalties are collecting. If you haven't registered it, all that money goes to the back black box in three years. The question is with Amazon and those, is there a time period where it goes to the black box and it's no longer able to be claimed? I don't know. That's that's the answer. that's a great yeah. question, and I'm going to look into it because you've asked it, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but. Yeah, I, same thing. I would say the same thing. Like I couldn't tell you personally, but I do know generally three years is what everything goes off of. And like you said, it's not so much that you have three years to register, but when if you just register a song today that you made, or, or if you go to collect some royalties, they can go back three years. They will go back further in certain instances, mm -hmm. but none of them will advertise that or anything like that. If it's a certain song, say it was a hit, and it had been out there for five, six years, they can go back further than that if they really want to, but they generally won't go back more than three years because they can't track 17 years worth of royalties. You know, so, um, and not to mention, like she said, after a certain time period, what they do with those black box royalties, at the end of the year, they look at which one of their songwriters had the biggest market share. And then they split that up amongst the people that had the biggest market share. So Drake just got your royalties, you know what I mean? So, you know, pick your favorite rapper, just got your royalties because you didn't collect your royalties. So it's important to make sure you guys, like I said, step one is registering with the PRO. That's, that's step one, you know what I mean? Next, step two, sound exchange, like she said, because they're two different types of royalties. ASCAP and BMI falls under composition royalties. Sound exchange falls under master rights and performer royalties. They're two different things. Um, the master, as you guys are aware, is the actual sound recording that was made. The composition is exactly that. It's the SR composition. paperwork. Um, no, that we're not even on that. They got rid of the SR. <laughs> it's all digital now. Like, uh, yeah, you don't. Yeah, there is no paperwork uh, for. But that's for the U.S. Copyright Office. Right. Yeah. Right. No, the I'm SR just referring. And the PA. I'm referring to just ASCAP BMI okay. composition, right. and then. The actual master, Got you. Uh, which gets registered with Sound Exchange. And before we transition from this, um, seeing as that we're talking about the revenue streams, and at the end of the day, your royalties, um, your performance royalties, and things like that. When it comes to the global 
collection. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going through like your agency, your digital company or a CSAT, I mean, um, a CD baby or a TuneCore, like, um, or a distro kid or something like that. How, what has been your experience as far as in them being able to collect globally appropriately for the music that we're putting out? Or is it recommended that the writers or the artists seek out their own relationships with PROs in those yeah. countries? No, that's, that's exactly what they should do. Like, so here's the thing. People say all the time, you know, don't ever give up your publishing, this, that, you know. Here's the thing, unless you are able to do what a publisher can do, then you need a publisher. It's, it's that simple, you know what I mean? Because, like she said, so let's take, you know, you're with BMI. Your song gets played over in France. They have reciprocal agreements with every, well not every, but the, the majority of the countries out there that if your song gets played in France, the French version of, of, of BMI will say, hey, this song was played over there. Here's the royalties. They'll forward those royalties to BMI. BMI will forward the royalties to you. The thing is, though, the France BMI doesn't have any real, they don't care if they see your song or not. They, they're not going to make any extra effort to make sure that information gets there. So the best thing to do is to establish a relationship with a publisher over there that can keep tabs on those things. Um, and again, unless you have those type of relationships to register your song with make sure it's registered in every single country around the world, which can get very expensive because now you're registering with BMI, you're registering with GEMA, G-E-M-A, which is the, the German. German version of BMI, uh, you know, and so on, APRA, which is the, the Australian version of it, you know, they're all, they all have their own acronyms, but at the end of the day, you know, it's all the BMI of X country, you know what I mean? So. That's the thing, and those registration fees add up 200 here, 400 there, 500 there. I mean, you'll spend thousands just making sure that you're registered with each one of those PROs around the world. So it's best to have a publisher who already is registered or has those relationships with sub-publishers who are registered in those countries to make sure you're collecting that. And A, you'll get paid faster, and it'll be more accountable, it'll be more accurate. And so with this being said, how, how would you suggest someone go about connecting to a publisher that has those relationships? Um, I mean, going to events, going out to, uh, you know, go to A3C, you know, you can meet publishers there, you know, go to South By, you can meet publishers there. Um, you know, come into things like this. I'm a publisher here. You know what I mean? Like there's there's ways to go about it. You can also research people generally. Every every one of my clients that's on my list came to me because some I got a phone call and they're like, so and so said I should talk to you. So that's how I got every single person that's on my roster. Not one that I go out and seek. So talk to your peers. Who are you using for your publishing? Oh yeah, are you satisfied with them? Well, maybe I should do that too. You know. So that's always the best way uh, to 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 find a publisher. I was just sitting here listening and I was thinking that maybe we should break it down a little bit more into steps because I know it all probably makes a lot more sense to us because we already know what we're talking about. Um, but breaking it down, um, when we say copyrights, the importance of a copyright is that it gives you two things. It gives you the right to sue someone for copyright infringement if they're using your work without permission 
and it also affords you or allows you to get the remedies that are available under the Copyright Act. Because one of the first things that people ask is, why do I have to register? Isn't it mine once I've created it? Yes, it is. You have what's called a common law copyright. The minute you put something into a fixed form, you have a copyright in it. But the difference is having a copyright and having an enforceable, a legally enforceable right to go to court to stop someone from using it and to collect damages if they've used it and made a profit from it. That's why you register things with the Copyright Office. Um, so I wanted to make sure that that was clear because that's important. Before you circulate any material um, that is yours, you want to at least have it pending with the Copyright Office because your effective date of your registration will be retroactive back to the date you submit it. But that's the first thing you want to do. And then when we talk about registering with the Performing Rights Society, one thing is membership, and that's what we've already discussed. You pay your fee in the case of a publishing company, if it's only if it's BMI, but for both songwriter and publisher if it's ASCAP. But then once you're registered, okay, I'm a registered member, then what? The next thing I think we skipped it or took for granted that, that you knew was already included is we must register every song that we have created with them. The reason why you're registering your song is because BMI or ASCAP doesn't know to monitor for um, income if they don't know that the song is out. You have to get your, they call it the, the song repertoire. And so every song that you write before it's released, um, ideally, um, you want to register it so that they know, they ask when, what the release date is, so that way you're a part of the system and they know that they need to be looking to collect royalties for that. Um, then, then when we talk about sound exchange, a very simple application, you can submit it online. You're bas they're basically asking for your name, your address, um, in the name of, in the case of a record company, the name of the record company, the address, they want photo ID, they want your bank information because they want to pay you by direct deposit and there is a, a agreement that you sign. The most, again, the most important aspect of that, you're submitting a listing of the songs that you have, um, that have been released and they have, um, they have a form that asks you for the information, of what, you, what percentage you're claiming. If you're the sole owner of the master recording, then you're claiming 100%. If you are performing with three people, maybe it's 33 and a third percent, but they ask for percentages, titles, songs, and releases. That there at a bare minimum, whenever you're registering with any organization, you want to make sure that you're submitting a listing and they all have their own methodology of doing that, but making sure that every work, every song that you have created is registered with them because if it's not in their system, regardless of how successful it is, you will not see any money. So I didn't want us, to, because we know a, a lot, to get too up in the clouds and not hit the basics. So. Forgive me for just going back. No, that's an excellent point. I, I've had writers that they'll tell me that, oh, yeah, I'm registered with BMI. Yeah, I'm all set. I'm registered with BMI. Okay, great. And then I'll go and look, look them up in BMI and look at their catalog. And guess what? They are registered with BMI. And they have zero songs that they registered with BMI. <laughs> they signed up. That's just, they thought that's all they had to do. And it's, hey, listen. Like she said, we take some, this for granted sometimes because, yeah, we know these things now. I didn't always know these things. She didn't always know. We didn't, you know. So I get it. I've been in that that writer's shoe. You know, that's how I got started in all this by you know making music myself and you know going down that journey. 
And while we're in this place, before we move forward, when we're talking about registering your compositions um, uh, your, for the Copyright Office, of course there is a cost-effective method where you can register your entire catalog for the one for the one fee, um, and it could be you know I don't know Blizzard catalog one catalog two, and it has up to X amount of songs, I believe, that you can register. But then you can also register them individually, which could also be a little bit more costly when it comes to enforcing copyright. Between the two ways that you might have registered, um, it seems that if you did them individually, it might be a little bit more stronger to fight, or does that not matter? Well, it's a matter of making it as simple as possible for the fact finder who might be the judge or the jury to see. So from clearly a visual standpoint, if you've only got one song and one registration certificate, it makes it easier. However, if you, for economic reasons, if you've registered a collection and, and as of March 15th, they've limited the number of songs you can do or, or on a collection to 10. Yeah, so, um, so, but the collection still has, it has the title for the collection, so you could say fall 2020 songs, and then, but it also has a place for alternate titles, so that you can list the individual titles of the song, so it still is possible. So ideally, if it were me, if I had the resources, I would register them individually, just because it's easier for someone to see, but it's still equally as effective from a legal standpoint to have it registered as a collection. So how would that work if, say, a um, advertising agency wanted one of the songs that was in a collective that you registered together? Does that make it uh, confusing or anything that you have several up under a certain registration, but they're only paying the license one of the records? No, no, because they've identified the song that they wanted to use. And remember that your copyright registration certificate is just proof to whoever you need to show it to that, look, these songs are mine. So the fact that I want song number two out of the collection of 10 doesn't matter as long as they can see that I own all 10, including the one that they want to license. Okay. All right. Um, I want to move on to something else. I get this question all the time. It's the buzzword now. Seems like everybody wants to get into licensing. Talk to us a little bit about the licensing world. Well, everything we do is licensing. That's that's you know right, <laughs> that's right. First but sync licensing specifically, like you said, is what everybody wants to get into. How do I get into sync licensing? How do I get into sync licensing? Can I say one thing just yeah, before go you ahead. go specific? Because I want to break everything down. So the legal definition of a license is really permission, as opposed to as opposed to you selling um, your rights or doing something for a work for hire where you're giving up all rights of ownership to um, a, a song. What you're doing is saying, I maintain my ownership interest in it, but because I own it, I'm granting you a right to use music that I own. And so when we talk about licensing and the rights that are being granted, how long is it going to be for? The number of years or months or whatever. Is it going to be exclusive, meaning that for that period of time that the license is covered, no one else can use it but me? 
or is it going to be non-exclusive, meaning that I'm going to pay a fee that gives me permission to use it, but that doesn't mean that other people can't use it during the same time period that I'm using it. So I just wanted to interject that. Yeah, no, no, that's an excellent point, though. Um, but there are, like you said, I mean, there's licensing is granting someone that permission. Um, so in the world of TV and film, they need your permission to use your music to attach it to whatever they want to attach it to, whether they're using it in the film, maybe it's going to be the music for a commercial, but regardless, they need your permission. And then along with that is you granting them that license. And there's two sides to that license. One is for the publishing, which is the synchronization license. The other one is for the master side, the actual audio of it. Okay. So you have to get paid for, if you're the sole person involved, you're going to get paid for both sides of that. Okay, so the master use license is attached to the master for the actual audio. The synchronization license is attached to the composition. So you get paid for both sides of that. As far as how to get into that, same thing. Go to conferences, meet people that are in that field. Um, you can go online and, and you know, Google, you know, sync licensing. There's companies out there. Um, again, you have to do your research and make sure, you know, if I send this person my music, are they actively trying to get it placed? Um, you know, CD Baby and those guys, I'll say, hey, give us your stuff and we'll, you know, we'll do sync licensing for you too. You we take them for like three million people. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to knock their thing, but I'm just saying, like, I, I have a hard time managing the catalog that I have. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so, and I'm nowhere near them. So that's all I'm saying there. But, um, but yeah, so at the end of the day, you know, you want to find someone that can do that. That's, again, where a publisher comes in. That's one of the jobs of a publisher is to generate money for you. That's their job is to, to get placements and opportunities for your music. Okay, and sync licensing is one of those opportunities. I think um, going back to that publishing for just a second, and I'm glad you gave an example of what it means because you know, people just think it's on the collection side and you're just collecting. A great publisher has the relationships that is going to be, like he said, is going to put your songs to work. Stephanie, how would you um, advise somebody to try and build those kind of relationships and get next to those type of tastemakers or gatekeepers for that matter? Well, I don't think there's any one answer, but one thing that I always encourage people to do is to go by word of mouth recommendations because the person that can put together the best website or who can put together the, the most polished presentation does not necessarily translate into who can do the best job for you. So when you know people that you trust and you or you see people that are doing well i suggest that you go to them or people who are doing things that you want to be doing word of mouth i think is always the best way to do it and one thing that's for sure um a lot of people don't give enough credit, in my opinion, to the, the music scene here in Detroit and the Detroit area. While it's true that we don't have a industry presence, we don't have a BMI or an ASCAP office, and we don't have a Grammy chapter here, there are a lot of active, on a national level, active producers, writers, artists, who are recognized and respected here. And they, they kind of live, some of them we know about, some of them live very quiet below the surface um, 
existences, but there are a lot of people here, so it's a matter of being in the right place and tapping into them, but there are people that are doing big things here because I'm able to, to practice 100%, I would say 80% of my practice is entertainment law related, and the clients that I represent deal with majors. I have some that deal with, um, that are doing things independently, but it's, it's amazing to me the things that people come into my office with that are right here, and I didn't know they were doing those things. So that's what I would recommend, word of mouth. Um, I want to make sure that we definitely have an opportunity to break down. Again, this is about show me, show me the money. Where the money at? Where are, besides streaming, which we know <laughs> is tough. Yes. Um, because you can think just because you're seeing someone have a million or two million streams, that really equates to like two, three hundred dollars. Not that much. It takes a lot to make money in streaming. When it comes to downloads, people aren't necessarily downloading like they used to. Um, I think like one time I checked the SoundScan chart, the number one by a hit maker uh, number of sales was like 87,000 and something, which with the mechanical rate, I think it's still, was it point zero ninety one? 9.1. Equates to maybe 7,000 and some dollars for that amount of downloads, right? So with that being said, in today's world, it takes a lot to make it with streaming and stuff like that. So, but we do have streaming. We still have the physical through merch, through um, um, some people still buy CDs, surprisingly. 25%, Small amount. 25%. Yeah. And from mm -hmm. what I understand nationally, it kind of, it's starting to go down between 27 and 29% annually mm -hmm. reducing in, in in physical product sales. But you've got merch, you've got your licensing, mm -hmm. you've got um, streaming. What are some other things that we're not thinking about? I was actually reading a book and they mentioned holograms. I didn't even know you could make money off of holograms. But are there any other ways to, to make money in today's industry Absolutely. that we may not be touching on? Absolutely. Um, first thing I want to say is music is a global commodity. So touching to CDs, CDs are still huge in China. Huge. They still prefer that over a download. I actually read that so in an article somewhere. Reach out, you know, like getting your music, you know, using a distribution service to get your music out there worldwide, making connections. You'd be surprised, I'm telling you. Again, a lot of what I've done has come through me going to music conferences and meeting people and building those connections. Okay? Internationally, let and me say. Absolutely, internationally as well, yes. Um, but like a big part of that though, like you'd be surprised just being in an elevator with somebody, a casual conversation, oh, and this guy's from China or whatever, and next thing you know, you guys are connecting and you go, I tell, I, I tell my artists, how do, you, how do you set up a nationwide tour as an independent artist? You meet 50 people, from each, you know, one person from each state that's doing the same thing you're doing. Hey, bro, when you got a show, put me on. When you come to Detroit, I'll put you on. It's that simple. Now you can chain link it together. Bing, 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 bing. You know, I see artists do it all the time. Uh, but so making bookmark, making money from obviously shows. Right. 
yeah. you know, touring is a big part of it, but you know, getting your stuff out there, thinking beyond just locally, I guess is, is the big overall theme where I was going for that. But another uh, way to do it is YouTube. So you put your money up on there, it obviously it generates streams. But if you put together a lyric video for that, now it's also generating another royalty. Guess what type of royalty that is? From the synchronization license that goes, that's attached to that. Okay, because now the words are being synced to the music. So it generates a whole nother royalty because it's being synchronized to the music, right? It's your music, it's your lyrics, right? But it's generated a whole nother royalty than just the music video itself, but even the music video, because that one's generating, it's synchronized to the picture. So that one's generating as well. So there's two, you know, two more streams on YouTube other than just putting the music up there. Now, when it comes to monetizing your content and monetizing your music on channels like, you know, outlets like that, what are key things that people need to pay attention to when it comes to those things? Well, it's a kind of tricky area, so I'm going to try to be as general as I can because I want to make sure I'm giving good information. With YouTube, my understanding is is that they that there's a certain number of views that you must have in order to be eligible to monetize. Ten thousand. Yes, and so other than making sure that the songs are registered with the proper um, agencies. Once you've hit that, then they know who they're supposed to pay. That's my understanding of it. Also, we haven't talked about SoundCloud. I haven't heard a lot of good things about it, but they have a what they call SoundCloud Premiere. Um, if you have received 5,000 plays in the previous month um, from countries that recognize it because i think it's maybe like 13 countries that monetize with uh, soundcloud the uk uh, the united states and some other ones so if you if you have received 5,000 um listens or, or or i don't know how you say it from the countries where they do that in the previous um the previous month, they will pay you 55% of the revenue that they get from advertising. I haven't heard that to be successful for a lot of people, but that's a, another source of revenue. There's also something called the AARC, um, and that's the Association of Artists and Record Companies, I think. And what happened is when the Digital Millennium Act was passed in the late 90s and the early 2000s, um, that was right at the point when CDs were, were replacing um, cassettes as the most prominent form of music. And so there were um, people, I, I know, I don't know you guys if you are old enough, but we used to like dub CDs. You know, we'd get one CD, but we'd make separate copies for the, for the car and stuff. And so what the Congress did was in order to make allowances for that, they, designated a certain percentage of the income that was received for buying blank CDs and replication materials to be shared. 50% uh, of those revenues were to be shared among artists and record companies, and that's what the AARC collects. And then the other 50% was to be shared among writers and publishers. So if you're looking at your application when you're joining um, BMI or ASCAP as a publisher, they will ask, do you want us to collect um, the Digital Millennium Act revenue, that's the revenue that they're talking about. The answer should, of course, be yes, because if they don't collect it, I don't know how you as an individual could collect it. So um, 
those are some other areas of revenue and just wanted to give a little backstory on where it was coming from. And just going back, I, I actually, when it came to YouTube before, my, before uh -huh. when I said 10,000, I realized um, that was, yeah, incorrect. I meant there's a certain level of umph that YouTube will, will give you, YouTube will give you, and it unlocks a certain amount of other resources from them once you reach 10,000 subscribers. Okay. So it's really good um, as you're doing your promotions and stuff to try to drive your subscribers, your signups with YouTube. Um, I wanted to take a little step back because one of the um, main revenue streams for artists today, I believe, is in their merch. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you need to protect yourself with your merch because that's one of the the first thing i'm big on protecting your investment um it, merch is a wild game it's very creative but you need to know how to protect your interests can you please talk about that for a second absolutely so we're talking about intellectual property we're talking about um your name and your brand your designs so the way that you protect them and what we say what we mean when we say protect is not that you can necessarily stop someone from trying to pirate your work but what we're saying is what do we do to put you in a position legally to be able to um, enforce your rights and to collect damages because you know if there's no Nothing that you can do short of really, you know, grabbing somebody um, that's going to stop them from doing something wrong. But you want to have the tools and be in a position to legally get remedies from it. So the first thing is, is that if you have a design, um, copywriting all there are about uh, eight areas of works, creative works, that copyrights cover. So we had talked about sound recordings already. We've talked about um, music and lyrics. The other thing that it covers is visual art. Visual art, whether it's two-dimensional or three-dimensional, whether it's on a canvas or whether it's on an article of clothing. So when we're talking about designs, registering them on a form VA is, is what will give you the exclusive rights to use that mark in what we call an ornamental sense. And when, what I mean by ornamental is that it's decorative in nature. As, so it's the difference between you having, a, having your artist's name or your artist's logo on there and it being on the face of the shirt. As a, like, for example, let's say um, Bad Boy Records, and let's use uh, Diddy as an example. It's the difference between that, which is ornamental, the baby, you know, whatever that logo was on a t-shirt as merch, as opposed to him having a clothing line that he calls Sean John, which is a brand that is included in the label in the back of a shirt. So for the design, the ornamental, what looks and is decorative on the front, we use a copyright. When we're talking about a clothing line, if we want to have a clothing line, then we're talking about trademarking. And the trademark is, is really designed to let the public know this is the source or the origin of my good or service. So Sean John, as we know, is not necessarily a design, but we know it's, an, it's a line, and we know when we see the label or the hang tag from the clothing, we know where it comes from. So how you protect, as far as merch is concerned, um, is trademarking for lines of different types of work. You might see um, 
keychains. You might see mugs and all posters, different types of merchandise. Um, that you would protect by having it a registered, whatever name you choose to sell it under, um, with the copyright office. If the, I mean, excuse me, with the trademark office in um, Virginia. When it comes to designs of on individual articles of things, you would register it with the copyright office. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, we are running short on time, and I wanted to make sure that I got to you guys for some questions. Um, everything that we're talking about, we brought you guys some experts here on that. So we're scratching the surface today, but um, more than welcome to reach out to these two. Um, they are professionals, so they do charge. So no, no pro bono, you know, let's, let's pay our way out here, but they are a very big source of information here in the Detroit area that I don't feel like is tapped enough. Um, any questions from anybody? Can you step over there to the seat? Sab, can you uh, give them your mic? How y'all doing? Hi. Um, I'm a distributor, so how, what would you recommend like me recommend artists to do what they publishing because I've like like me and my man's over there we probably got maybe about 25 artists under us and we have an expanding catalog and I know about like song trust about collecting international royalties but I want to know if there were other options for me as a distributor because one of our goals is to be a publisher like you song trust is a, is a good option uh, my company we actually do partner with them uh, um, but yeah, they are. That's definitely a great resource for uh, for independence. Um, the other thing, I mean, I don't know the size of your catalog, but again, if you're able to get that to someone, maybe say at Cobalt, for example, now you can negotiate that with them as far as getting them taking on all of your writers and what that deal may look like, and then you may want her to help negotiate that deal for you. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Well, I appreciate the plug. Um, something else that you can do in the interim, the Harry Fox Agency is a very old agency, and they assist with um, what, we, what you're really talking about is pu called publishing administration. And so what that really means is that you're paying a percentage of, uh, or a fee of what's recovered, but you're not giving up any ownership. So that's key. Um, if at the point where you're giving up ownership, you're gonna, of course, want some money you know, that, that is paid in the form of an advance or something. But Harry Fox Agency has been around for more than 100 years. Um, there is, I don't know what the membership fee is, but they will collect um, not only, because we've talked a lot about digital stuff, but we haven't talked about mechanical royalties, which are another aspect right. of songwriter and um, publishing income. And that really just comes from the sale of the music. That's what publishers and songwriters receive. A, that's when we were talking about the 9.1 cents per song. That's the royalty rate that um, mechanical, uh, the, the, the rate that mechanical royalties are paid out to publishers and songwriters. So Harry Fox Agency, I think it's F, H, H, it's H, F, H, A, dot, yeah, uh, I H, think it's dot org. Yeah, H, F, A, dot org or dot com. Uh -huh. That's just what I heard. You well, have to be a publisher. 
I, I heard that uh, HFA won't take everybody, but you just yeah, answered. You have to be a publisher. So, so that's like my clients that have BMI and they just have their government the name under account. their writers. They couldn't go. Correct. They have to have a publisher account. Do they, they get don't. their publishing because on the website BMI says they pay the publishing to them under their regular name? But Or is it like they get some of it and not all of it? They they can do that. So if you're set up as a say you're set up as a songwriter and you don't have the money to set up a publishing company right now, you can't identify yourself on the publisher side too and get paid. But what we're talking about is about perception and about being perceived as a professional to other people. So it's something that you can do, but it's not something that I would recommend you do long term. You know, if it's a situation where I need to get this money in order to be able to set it up, but as soon as possible, you want to set it up so you'll be taken seriously. Okay, okay. All right, yeah, thanks and, a lot. And like we said earlier, there are certain royalties that only publishers can collect. So while BMI is collecting the performance royalties for you, there's gonna be other royalties, such as mechanics and stuff, that you're not going to get because you have to register with the HFA and you have to be a publisher to be registered with HFA. All right, we got room for one more question after him. If anybody does, wants to ask something, come up after him. What's up, Lo? What's good? So um, if you could touch more on like the mechanicals, because um, like we have, uh, um, we have a lot of writers, I guess you would consider them, in terms of um, you know, just us distributing these artists. And so when you look at, uh, like say like a Spotify, or a Deezer, or do they, if, are they supposed to pay uh, those mechanicals, that 9.1%? Well, the is that who they is in terms of the master rights owner, which would be the label? Is that who they um, is that who would get that, and then they give it to the writers, or is that the publisher that gives it to the writers, and then the mechanical rights holder gives it to the artists? Well, when it comes to streaming, um, and that's when I was saying earlier about sixty to seventy percent of the streaming royalties stay with the label. Then the remaining 30 to 40% is divided among the artist, the writer, and the publisher. And what makes streaming so difficult to me, it's kind of like water that runs through your hands, is that everybody's got a different rate. Um, and so, and it's difficult to audit, because how do you really audit accurately a stream? But to answer your question, the streaming um, platform is supposed to pay the Pub, the publisher, the mechanical royalties. Stephanie, if you could, um, you or Theo, can you clarify like the number of streams that equate to one, you know, Dollar? one sale? <laughs> <laughs> well, the estimates that I have read have said that um, if you have a million streams of a song, that's equivalent to $8,000 in money. Um, and so, and that's to be divided among the record label, the, the artist, the publisher, and the songwriter. Um, 
So that's where I say it gets a little bit dicey, but just for the visual to see, you would think a million streams, oh, I've done something, but you're basically talking about $8,000 to be divided primarily you're talking about 40 or 30 percent of that to be divided among the artist, the publisher, and the songwriter. And then just um, as in terms of Billboard and in terms of the, the recording um, institute, uh, the, what is it, RIAA, I don't know exactly what it stands for, but what they've done is that they equate 150 intentional streams to for, to one um, sale of a single and they equate 1,500 um, intentional streams to one album. So just when you're talking about how do you measure things for charting, just wanted to throw that out there too. So, I mean, my main th message to people is that we've been conditioned that, oh, this is the wave of the future, but it doesn't really benefit um, artists, um, independent labels, or songwriters or publishers because you're dividing up a much smaller piece of the pie. So, especially when you're an independent company and you can, you can, um, you're in charge of your own fate. I would encourage you to, to have physical product as much as possible because you've kind of been trained, well, this is where the trends are going, but you need to understand why the trend is what it is. And unless you're um, Sony, unless you're um, Warner or an Atlantic, you're not in a position to really benefit from that. So sometimes it can be tricky because you, you that's where you aspire to be, but you have to be able to distinguish from where you are and how it's gonna profit and benefit you most financially. Thank you very much. Mr. Mark Cooper, would you go Hi, ahead with you your guys. question? Great. Um, I do have a uh, quick question. Because I don't know if, okay, great, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm in a kind of a different kind of lane. Like I do what's called like nerdcore hip hop where I actually rap at like comic conventions and things like that. And they're, you know, going to different kinds of like hotels and things like that. They're not accredited, you know, performance places and things like that. Are there any possible ways of collecting royalties for things like that? Every, every, they'll, all those places have to pay BMI and ASCAP to play music. License. Yeah. Yeah. So, any public, I'm sorry. No, no. Any public venue that has, what, even if they, if you hear at a restaurant music in the background, so it doesn't have to be like a dedicated venue like the Fox Theater or um, LCA. Any public place that plays music of any kind is supposed to have a blanket license from all three organizations. And then, we didn't talk about this, but as a part of your live performance revenue, I know BMI has something called BMI Live. And um, so you submit basically the date of your performance, your set list, and um, the, the address of the venue, the time, and all of that. And then you, you ensure that you're paid for that. And actually, um, I used to be an, a licensing manager for ASCAP. And so we are like the wardens on the ground. And so even if it's a gym, a hotel, a school, everybody has to pay up if music is being performed inside, if they have an iPod playing overhead, they have to. So even still, you register your performance, it's going to trigger with your performance rights organization, they will make a phone call. You will get that credit. You know, so even if they don't have a sticker on the door that says we are, you know, an ASCAP reporter or BMI reporter or whatever, still register that. Yep. 
All right, everybody. I'd like to thank all y'all for coming out. I want to give our guests a chance to give any last words. If they want to share their information, they can go ahead and do that now. Um, I just want to thank everybody for coming out because um, it's rare that you get an opportunity to really talk with professionals and it makes me feel good to have a target audience where I know that people are interested and that knowledge is no good if it's kept inside so I look for opportunities to share so I'm happy I just want you guys to know my name is Stephanie Hammonds and if you want to get any other contact information I'm, I'm happy to talk to you one-on-one -on -one. but it's been a pleasure to share what I've known what I know with you and I wish we had more time to talk yeah I, I echo that as well um, you know number one thing that anybody can do in this if you're making music first and foremost remember you are a business and you may not see yourself as a business, but you are a business. And so one of the things, you know, I make sure everybody that we work with, the first thing we have them do is go ahead and register their business. Go get an LLC. Now, when Mark Cooper goes to California for that trip, his airfare, tax deductible, hotel, tax deductible. I need this new outfit for this show. Them Jordans, tax deductible. So instead of just spending, 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 you know, let it work for you, right? So keep that in mind that first and foremost, you guys are a business, whether you see it that way or not. And once you start to see yourself as that, you'll start to make business decisions like what she had said, the physical was important for you guys, more so than streaming, because with where you're at, that's where you're gonna get the biggest bulk of your change. So that's a business decision, you know, instead of just doing what everybody else is doing. So the sooner you see yourself as a business, the sooner you'll start seeing uh, bigger dividends coming in. Um, one thing that I'll share is there's there's a variety of other things that other areas where you can make money. But here's a resource that I want to give you all. Um, it's uh, called it's a book. Uh, it's called Music, Money, and Success. There's an eighth edition. It has been updated for 21st century music business. It breaks down everything we're talking about and more. And it's by two copies um, of that book. It's by Jeff and Todd Brabeck, B-R-A-B-E-C. Music, Money, and Success. The Insider's Guide to Making Money in the Music Business. Get that. It's like the Indie Bible, which there's another resource, the Indie Bible. Check that out, too. It is a bit of a dry read. I will give you a little heads up about that. Like, it gets, it gets into it. Like, how much, why you get paid this amount when your song gets played at 2 p.m. on a TV show on Fox versus... Discovery Channel, whatever. So it, it does get, you know, it can be a bit of a dry read, but there's a lot of good important information. There. Like I said, I have two copies of it. One's like a fifth edition, and then I have a more recent, uh, I think, seventh or eighth edition. But point is, excellent resource. All right, I want to shout out to uh, our main man who's not with us at the table, but running around here with this successful Detroit is Different Festival. Shout out to my man, Kari. Um, I'm Uncle P. I'm Sab, Sabrina. And this has been the F What You Heard podcast. Y'all can find us on the Detroit is Different Network. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Appreciate y'all. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. You're listening to the Detroit is Different After Dark Podcast Network.